Gregoire with the band beaston Oli No Cranky, Oli Sabe Finis. What the hell was that? Usually at the beginning of each show it says Gregoire and Dan Beeston are smart enough to know better. That sounded like someone singing to a frog. That wasn't a man singing to a frog. That was the language Besrama. They, no, sorry, you made, it's a made-up language. Well, it is, it is technically a made-up language. All language is technically made-up, but it is a made-up language. Oh, well done, Captain Lawyer Pants. <laughs> but Bislama is a language used in Vanuatu. It's the, sometimes called Pidgin English, but it's different to the Pidgin English or the Pidgin language uh, used maybe in Indonesia or used in Papua New Guinea as well. Oh, okay. So different islands use different Pidgin. Sometimes that's spelt P-I-D-G-I-N. Ah, sometimes so that was Gregoire and Dan Beeson are smart enough to know better in... Bislama? No. Oh. Um, it doesn't translate directly. I was in Vanuatu and I asked the gentleman at the radio station to say it for the podcast, but he said he couldn't think of the direct translation. But So it was, Gregoire and Dan Beeston are not from the moon. This is true. <laughs> and that, that translates directly into they're not crazy. So Gregoire and Dan Beeston are not from the moon. All right, not- we're ahead. <laughs> they know what they're talking about. I like that. I, we should start each one with that. <laughs> So, so Gregoire and Dan B said, are not from the moon. They know what they're talking about. We'll just get a frog to come in and sing it. There's a wonderful uh, interview that we've got later. I wonder if he's got useful and scientific things to say. The indications are that there's a whole world of organised crime out there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, we're just getting a little taste of it and capturing one of the, the suspects. I, I thought it was going to be scientific and... I'm sure that we'll get to the science. <laughs> but that was, of course, Mr David Harris science communicator and all-round good guy. But he'll be coming up a bit later to put us right about something in the news about science at the moment. But why do we need professionals on our show <laughs> when Mr. Gregoire and Mr. Dan Beeston are now nominated <laughs> nomin- for Hi. the UK Skeptics Award <laughs> 2011? <sighs> we could... We could if don't don't clap with the microphone between your hands. Right. That is not professional. I just hit the microphone with my hands. We're so good at this game. We're less flailing in 2012. <laughs> but yeah, we're nominated for the UK Skeptics Magazine, mm, and we're up against real podcasters. <laughs> I mean, like real ones. It's terrifying. If you if you want to go look at this, you we don't have to get... vote. By the way, it's not, not we're not asking people to go and support us. That's no, already no, done. That's done. That's uh, supposedly people did oh, support and, us. And thank you. Yes, thank you very much to those who we didn't do it. So if people supported us, so our listeners support us put us into this magazine and we had no idea we just got a, a letter from us out of the blue going hi you've been put forward by your fans and would you like to write something for us I'm like okay and so thank you very much whoever that was or the the number of people who did that for us wow, how wonderful but you can go to www do we have to say that anymore do i have to say www anymore go to the world wide web go to the world wide web which is, actually takes less to say www yeah nine web. syllables yeah. in www anyway go to skeptic with a k s k e p t i c dot org dot uk and that's the skeptic magazine uk and looking for we might be winning an occam yeah. It's like an Oscar, but, but for sharper. Yes. <laughs> I'd like to thank... Oh, God, my oh, finger! I'm bleeding! I'm bleeding! But we are up against The Pod Delusion, Righteous Indignation, Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, Skeptic's with a K, and down the bottom, Smart Enough to Know Better! Hooray! There we are, in black and white. Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, that's the 300-pound gorilla in the room. Oh, yeah, That's yeah, yeah. the big one there. Oh, dear. Strangely enough, the last time we mentioned Skeptic's Guide to the Universe was the last time we interviewed... David Harris. All oh, right. <laughs> we'll drag him down with us. Yay! Later. 
But go and have a look at those podcasts. Go and have also look at the blogs. There are skeptic blogs that they're going up, uh, they're putting in as well. And there are events, campaigns, and outreach that they're looking at. What's really exciting for me, three of the judges I know of, uh, John Ronson wrote The Psychopath Test and The Men Who Stare at Goats and a few other excellent books as well. He he's a, writes a brilliant book. You should read them. Uh, Simon Singh, who had all the problems with libel laws in the UK, he wrote his opinion about something, and people tried to sue him in the UK, and for two years, basically, had to fight for his right to, to have an opinion. And then Richard Wiseman as well. Uh, these people are all really exciting people, and uh, the fact that they're going to be looking at us makes me go, I wish we'd done a better podcast. <laughs> when I was a kid, I had a book about space. And one of the things in it was a picture of the space station. And what I didn't realise at the time is that that wasn't real. Right. But it had something like out of 2010, which were orbited, and it looked it looked very funky. Yeah. And I was it was a couple of years before I discovered that there was actually no space station up there. But there is one now. Well, that's the exciting thing. The other night, the Frog Princess and I went out onto the street and had a look to the north and watched it. The International Space Station came up over the horizon. And went up, and you could see it gleaming in the sky. As a bright star. Strangely enough, I didn't know that at all. Last night, I was in a graveyard, which is where I seem to spend my Saturday nights for reasons we don't talk about. Well, it's actually for money, but okay. That also sounds odd. But anyway. You'd be amazed how how many mad scientists are out there looking for good brains. (laughs) But I I was out there in quite a dark graveyard, and I looked. That's why I said to the west, because I looked to the west-southwest, and I saw it as well. I I just checked online. So I'd actually found, by sheer coincidence, that you can actually follow a person or a, a, an organization on Twitter, and it's T-W-I-S-S-T, twist, but with an extra S. Yep. Follow them, and it look, checks your location on Twitter. It'll direct message you, and it will send you the next time the ISS, the International Space Station, is over your, over your head. So it'll say, in a couple of hours, you need to look to the west, you need to look over here, and you'll find it at this, this number of degrees. And I discovered that, and I was looking there, and it went, it'll look like a bright star. So I was in this graveyard, and I looked up, and there was this bright star, and it's really quite bright. Uh, you're right. It really is a very bright thing to see mm. in the sky. It's not hard to find. Once you know where to lay, there it is. Sometimes it's not bright. And what's really interesting, what I'm really excited about, been looking into it, it can flare because it's reflecting sunlight. It's not. It's not. It hasn't got lights on or anything yeah. like that. It can flare. It so, knows where it's going. Yes, that's right. It has no choice. Gravity tells it where to. Was it space it tells gravity how to move. Gravity tells space where to go or something like that. <laughs> I can't remember the Douglas Adams. And it catches the light in a certain way. It can become magnitudes brighter and can really light oh, up. Right. And I'm looking forward to. So when it reflects off those solar cells and stuff. Yes, yeah, because it's a very bright object. And as some of the listeners may remember, I've bought myself a telescope. I have an 8-inch Dobsonian telescope. And I've discovered if you can track the the ISS, you can see it. You can not just see a dot of light. You can see... Panels and yeah, yeah, the whole modules. space station. And you have to just keep tracking it because aliens shooting at them. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping for, anyway. But how do you track? I mean, it's moving at a real clip. How yeah, do you you'd do have that? to. You have to move it with your hand. Well, in my case, I have to move it with my hand because right. I've, I've got a, I've got a, a push to. I don't have a go to. I'm not that rich. But you could, once you know where it is, you could look through the, the finder scope and then track it with your hand. You, oh, okay. you get good at that sort of thing. Uh, when you're an amateur astronomer, you're good at pulling the telescope slowly across the sky. Nice. But you still got minutes. So I had two minutes of viewing of the ISS. Mm. So go outside. Go maybe go on Twitter. Follow the uh, twist with an extra S. Or look just online for where is the ISS, and you probably find it. And go and look at the damn thing. It's free. It's above your head. Holy shit! And how fast does it go? It's very what? fast. It goes around the Earth every hour and a half. That's crazy. Like, that's a ridiculous speed. <laughs> it's breaking laws, I'm sure. Imagine the pile up of bugs on the windscreen. <laughs> 
So, ladies and gentlemen, our interview begins now with Mr. David Harris. He is a science journalist with Wired Magazine, New Scientist Magazine, and all sorts of other great magazines around the world. And he's beaming in from California in the United States of America. Good evening, David. Hi, everybody. Woo! <laughs> magical science. Not magical science, but it's just I, I, I never get tired of talking to people across the planet. Yeah. Using a tablet computer and microphones. It's amazing. Yeah, David's actually standing at a different angle to us. <laughs> How does that feel, David? Uh, I'm getting a little bit of vertigo, but uh, I'll be okay. Okay, as long as we're in the same frame of reference, we're all going to be aging roughly the same rate, so that's good. Everyone stare at the Earth's sun now. <laughs> Synchronized watches. And you might remember from an old podcast where David came on the program and we discussed about science education and science uh, communication and also... Irritable bowel syndrome. Irritable bowel syndrome. And Vegemite. And Vegemite as well. We've decided now to call you David Harris, friend of the show. Oh, well, I'm quite honoured. That's Well, there's only been one other, and that was John Birmingham. And that's because he threatened us. So uh, we... <laughs> He's a scary man in a room. So, uh, but, but you're With friends away. of the shows like these. Who needs enemies of the show? <laughs> right. Well, we've we talked up before. Um, you're going to be our clever friend of the show. John Birmingham is the friend of the show that you hang out with because he's big and violent and he can actually protect you from other people. So he's that friend. <laughs> okay. Right. I'll, uh, I'll keep that in mind next time I need a big and violent friend. <laughs> and, uh, I realize I'm just slandering John Birmingham quite badly. That's okay. That's fine. We can cut all that. Or, or not. Oh, he loves it. <laughs> so... Mr. David Harris, we're going to say two words to you, and then we're just going to go quiet for a long period of time, I think, because these words, people seem to, they think they know what they mean, they hear about them in the news all the time, but really, what do we know about the Higgs boson? What, what's, what's a Higgs? What's a boson? What's going on? Well, first of all, not boson, so it's oh. not a nautical term. <laughs> but you're pretty close there. Ooh. The Higgs boson is a theoretical fundamental particle that is supposed to exist in the universe that does all kinds of wonderful things for us, like allowing us to exist. Uh, <laughs> oh, I like existing. Yeah, it is quite handy. But uh, in particular, it's what's responsible for giving us mass. Uh, mm. If there were no such thing as the Higgs boson or something like it, then all of the particles in the universe would be massless, like the, the photon, the particle of light, and they'd all be zooming around at the speed of light never coalescing into objects like atoms and molecules and, and matter. Or me. So, so it's a um, pretty important thing to be there. And yet, after about 40, 50 years of searching, no one has ever found it yet. So this is not a new um, thing. We, we only seem to have heard about it quite recently. But it seems that it's been on for a very long time then, or well, theorized for a very long time. That's right. So the idea of the Higgs boson came about in, in 1964, and three groups of physicists came up with the, the idea pretty much simultaneously. And, and they were, if I can remember them, they were Englert and Brout and Higgs and Gorelnik and Hagen and Kibble. Uh, so it's called the Higgs boson, which is much better than the Englert, Brout, Higgs, Gorelnik, Hagen, Kibble um, boson. <laughs> but but they're, all, so they're all organizing at the same time, though. So they're theorizing at the same time. It seems such an odd thing for these people to come up with in the same period of history, if that makes sense. You know, it actually happens quite a lot in physics and other areas, other areas of science. Um, and uh, I'm not sure why it is, but it seems that at certain times, ideas, times just come. Uh, they basically <laughs> require a certain amount of background development and thought and, and figuring out. And all of a sudden, a bunch of people come up with the, the same idea. Mm. So this That's quite a romantic notion, isn't it? 
yeah, it is that uh, that there is this sort of steady evolution of ideas, but there are these special times for certain ideas mm. to to come into existence, like volcano movies. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yes. Thanks, Dad. I think it's, I think it's exactly the same process. <laughs> so I suppose the process would be you have to have a certain level of knowledge amongst the bleeding edge of physics, and all these people are sitting at that edge. And when when the wave front of knowledge strikes them, they all kind of go, "Wait, that makes sense," and they all start working on roughly the same idea. I think pretty much that's the the way it works, and that's not to to take anything away from the brilliance of of all these guys. Oh who, no. But, uh, yeah, I think that is pretty much how it works. And, you know, they all worked out slightly different versions of it, and some of them extended it a bit further and worked out a few extra things. And it's really just the, the luck of it that Peter Higgs, a Scottish physicist, managed to, to get the great majority of the, of the credit. It wouldn't really matter so much how many people came up with this idea, except that there's a good chance this could win a Nobel Prize. Mm. And a Nobel Prize is split by at most three people. And there are six of them on the list. And uh, all six, all six have been awarded other prizes uh, that don't have this three-person limit yes. to, to recognize the effort. So who knows what will happen? Uh, Stick him in an that... arena and put that Star Trek music on. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. And they can fight. Uh, but the, the um, surely they can timeshare it. Okay, you three can have it from January to June, <laughs> and you can have it July to December. That'd be fine. That's right. Share the medal around. That's, that's right. So, uh, that would be good. But, you, you know, no one's going to win the Nobel Prize until they actually discover this particle. But we've heard we've it's got... discovered. 90% chance it's been discovered already by the LHC. Is that not true? Are people lying well, to us? Well, no, no. The physicists are not going to tell you that it's discovered yet because they're not that confident in the results. But there's some pretty strong evidence that it does exist. See, see, particle physicists are weird creatures, almost as weird as the particles that they discover. And they're... they're <laughs> loath to come out and just say, oh, yeah, we found something. Mm. They demand uh, proof? What strange <laughs> human being is this? And photos. And, and they require fairly strong proof, in, in fact. Uh, because like the, if the, the book's the... really old, like 2,000 years old, then it must be more truthy <laughs> than a recent book. Dan, Dan, Dan. <laughs> Must be. How, how did I know we'd end up in, going <laughs> in this with the station? It's not called the God Particle for nothing. Ah, yeah. yes, that, that terrible name. But we'll discuss that very yeah. soon. Yeah. So, so anyway, what were we talking about? Actually, can I ask a question? Because um, um, yeah. his name is Higgs, H-I-G-G-S. Yes. Now, it's the Higgs boson. Is there an apostrophe? Is it the Higgs's boson? Or is it, is it uh, his boson? <laughs> Is it the boson belonging to Higgs, the boson or, is it, that, yeah. or is the actual boson called Higgs? <laughs> I think it's actually neither. Um, <laughs> there's no, there's no apostrophe, mm -hmm. but that could just be that physicists are notoriously bad at naming things and getting their grammar right. Um, <laughs> so you know, Higgs doesn't own the boson. If he did, then he would be the the owner of the universe, uh, pretty much, except for all the light. Uh, that, that is, that is, the photon is massless, so he would just own all the matter. That's right. Well, could he? Um, surely he could go trademark that pretty quick. Now, if he was listening to this podcast right now, then he could race out now, uh, trademark the universe. Well, why not? Why not? Well, Dan and I trademarked the sun. We we worked that out. We call it Chad. No one else named the sun, so we worked that out. We didn't trademark it, but you know, we we no. we named the we sun. We should. So so we he, could market it. Shh, shh, don't ruin it. He'll take your ideas, but. If, um, so, yeah, I mean, it, what's the chances of trademarking a fundamental particle of the universe? What's, oh, now I'm intrigued. 
Um, let's just say it's very small. Right, okay, very small. I don't talk to the same lawyers who work for Cadbury. They managed to trademark a colour, didn't they? Yeah, for one, yes, for one chocolate, that's right, purple. But one shade of purple for one chocolate. Anyway, we're getting slightly off track here at this point. Just, just a wee okay, bit. Back to the irritable bowel syndrome. No, wait. Right, so what we were talking about is whether or not the Higgs has actually been discovered yet. Mm. And the physicists will say, no, not yet, but it's looking pretty good. And by the end of 2012, there's a very good chance that they will have enough evidence that it that it really exists to say, yep, here's the little bugger. This is where he's been hiding all along. So, so it's kind of the, an example I'd like to give is, so you're lying in bed at night and, and you're, you're asleep and you get woken up by a noise and you go, there's a burglar in the house. I, I, can, hear, I can hear someone rattling around my kitchen. And you sit there and you don't want to go out there because it, you know, it might be a big burglar. And then you, you sort of sit there and wait and you hear them rattle around the kitchen. You get the someone in the kitchen and then you hear them rifling through your DVDs. And then, wait, and then they start like, you know, going through all, your, all your, your safe and looking. The more evidence you get, you're going, I, I'm pretty certain there's a burglar in the house. But until you slam open the door and scream, ah, burglar, and hit him with a stick, it could be your mother-in-law. You know, it really could be at that point. Until you see it, you can't say it's definitely the burglar. Yeah, well, that's right. And uh, physicists have been lying in bed for nearly 50 years listening to, to sounds. Uh, Wake up, physicists. I mean, really. Better to be on the safe side and just shoot whoever it is with a particle that's travelling almost the speed of light. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> so so the, the reason why it's so difficult to find it is this is a, a statistical process. It's very hard to pin down an individual Higgs particle because there are a lot of things that look like it in particle accelerators. You'll never actually see the Higgs. You'll see what the Higgs decays into because it's very, very short-lived. We don't know just how short-lived it is because we, we haven't found it yet mm. to know for sure and studied it well enough, but it breaks apart into a bunch of other different particles, and they're the things that you observe. The trouble is there are other short-lived particles that break apart into the same kinds of particles, so it's like a detective problem where you have to work backwards from the evidence to work out what was really there. Wait, so, wait a second. Everything has... Like, all these stuff that we have has mass, but if the pigs creates mass then you break the Higgs apart into other particles, then would those particles not have mass? Well, the, the, it's a good question, uh, and the Higgs actually... Yeah, so don't snicker at me, Craig. I wasn't snickering. Good question. I wasn't snickering. I was smiling encouragingly. <laughs> well, no, the Higgs actually gives mass to itself through the Higgs mechanism. Oh, uh, God, here we go. Yes. <laughs> it starts to get technical at this point. Uh, <laughs> So maybe we won't go too far down that path, but the Higgs manages to imbue itself with mass as well as all the other particles. Okay. So one way that, to think about the, the Higgs is that it's, it's a particle, but it's also a field, and it's a field that's uh, spread throughout space absolutely everywhere. It's invisible to us, but it's there, and it's kind of like a molasses for other particles to travel through it. And some particles stick to the molasses more than other particles, and the ones that stick more end up being heavier particles, and so they tend to move slower and, and have more mass. Cool. And so there's this field everywhere, and what happens is if you jiggle this field, this molasses, hard enough, then you get a, a, a little ball or particle of molasses pops out, and that's a Higgs boson by itself. Right. And so what, so what you're really doing in, a, in these particle accelerators is trying to agitate this background Higgs field that pervades space-time and making it pop out the evidence that it's really there in the form of these Higgs bosons. Oh! Okay. So it's like the electromagnetic field in that case. So you get photons, which are like a particle or a wave of light, but you also have the electromagnetic field as well. 
So is it, it's ex- it's exactly like that. Right. Okay. Gotcha. I see. So so with the molasses idea, so some reasons the protons in my body they, they will stick to the Higgs field and they will sort of be slowed down or, or made more massive, given inertia, I suppose. What well, maybe a way of that's right. So so that they get they get what we call mass, but for some reason light won't interact with the molasses in any way. Or very, you know, it's, it's massless, so no way at all, and therefore it just it doesn't get heavy at all. Is that is that right? That's that's exactly it. Oh, okay. That's, but why then? So is that, was that a very complicated question? Why do some things interact with the molasses, but other things don't? This is a complicated question, <laughs> and it's not clear that anyone has a really satisfactory answer to that question. But it's just because the, in the, the nature of science, there are different things that have different strengths. Like the uh, gravitational field is a fairly... Uh, gravitational force is a fairly weak force mm-hmm. and the electromagnetic force is much stronger right um, yes. that's why you know you can very easily have you know a magnet hold up something against gravity even though there's the, the whole earth versus a tiny magnet mm-hmm. then there are the two other forces which are even stronger the nuclear forces the strong force and well the weak force the weak force is actually weaker i think than the electromagnetic force and stronger than gravity right so it doesn't really matter what they all are but they all have different different strengths and that seems to be just some fundamental aspect of nature wait a second planet earth is a big magnet maybe that's all gravity is (laughs) thanks dan okay (laughs) i'm gonna pretend you didn't say that (laughs) (laughs) sorry beth I was reading about how Einstein, he was trying to join electromagnetics with gravity, but then people were discovering the weak and the strong nuclear forces. But he was saying, well, no, no, we won't talk about them. So near the end of his life, he was desperately trying to get two forces together while kind of ignoring the other two, which is kind of doomed to fail in the end. So it was a a big problem of historical issue of when things get studied around you or more things get developed, if you don't sort of keep up with it, that even if you're the cleverest person in the world, then you can still kind of make mistakes. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's actually an important one in the, in the development of all this theory and this development of something called quantum field theory, which is the basis of the theory that, that leads to, to predicting there is such a thing as a, as a Higgs. And it turns out some of the early successes were exactly what you're talking about. They were trying to unite the electromagnetic field with gravity. And there was some success in doing that. Okay. You wouldn't say it was it was perfect, but you could unite these forces in a certain way that made a lot of sense and gave you some pretty good models of, of physics. The trouble is then how did you get the strong and the weak forces into it? And, and uh, there didn't seem to be a way to, to jump from that combination of the first two forces to, to add the other two. So now people are working at it from a different way around where they seem to have united the electromagnetic force and the strong force and the weak force, mm-hmm. then they're trying to attach that to, to gravity as well. Crowbar gravity into it. Uh, the bo- where does the Higgs boson fit into this then, in the forces? It, it, what's, it, what's it normally associated with? Or have I missed the point here? No, it's, I, I guess it's kind of different in that it uh, has, in a sense, its own type of force oh, where okay. the particle, uh, we, we say that it couples to these, the other particles so it interacts with the, all the other particles except for the, the photon, which is massless. So it's, it's kind of like its own force, but hmm, I'd have to think about exactly what that would look like in terms of a force. It, it doesn't have quite the same stature as the other, the other four fundamental forces. Right, okay. Well, we've connected somewhere with gravity because it gives things mass, and mass is what connects things together, So as in, as in yep. clumps of things attracted by gravity. And, and other things as well, I suppose, but, yeah. Sorry, yeah, in a quantum field theory picture, there's probably another kind of particle that we haven't found yet called the graviton, 
and it's probably the one responsible for gravity, and it, it presumably has mass as well, and the, the Higgs would give it mass. Right. Okay, so it wouldn't be a massless particle. It would probably have mass. Right. Yeah, probably. Phew. You know, actually, I could be wrong there, so let me walk that back and say... I don't know. Sure, no, fair <laughs> enough. That's, a, well, that's okay. Smart enough to know better. Science, comedy, and ignorance. We are okay with people saying we don't know. That's brilliant. So thank you very much. As for is science that. in general. That's, <laughs> that's right. That's how you learn about things. It's awesome. So, yeah, also, I mean, these are theoretical particles we're talking about. How could we know? Because we haven't actually found them. But anyway, <laughs> so, with them, so the Higgs field is across the universe, and it gives everything mass except for massless particles. Is it, yes. Does this mean, and this, this may be going on a bit of a science-y, science fiction-y kind of bent here, once we know what the Higgs is, so once we sort of get, okay, that's the Higgs, we've discovered it, we've opened the door, there's the burglar, it's the Higgs, okay, we've got it, does that mean that probably, or maybe, we could start like messing around with things' mass, so we can start reducing the mass of things, or is that totally science fiction? I, I think that's science fiction at this point. You should never say that, some, that, that many things are completely science fiction and will never, ever happen. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's hard to imagine us being able to manipulate the Higgs field and use the Higgs particularly usefully. The main reason is it's hard to get hold of these things. We haven't been able to find any right so far <laughs> after, after nearly 50 years of trying that said we're i think we're very close to capturing them but it's not like you have them in captivity either you have them for the for the tiniest fraction of a second and then they they disappear again sure. so to do something useful with them you would presumably need to have quite a lot of them and start to to think about what happens then it, there's sort of a parallel with neutrinos neutrinos are very hard to capture and it took a long time for people to discover them in experiments but now they can create beams of them and fire beams of them <laughs> around the planet which they they do for certain experiments they, they just need to learn how to uh, time it properly yeah, well, yeah. yeah that's right <laughs> Yeah, so those those who didn't get our little sniggery laugh there, they, there was a theory recently, uh, whatever an experiment that said that neutrinos may, might have been faster than light, but it turned out to be a, an experimental error. And it, the GPS unit was broken. Well, well basically, the, the, yeah, they, they had to jiggle the cable. Basically, that's what it came down to. But that's the whole point of science. They made it. They made a, a prediction, and they experimented, and they discovered it, and they, what they thought that was right, and then it was checked, and it was found to be wrong, and that's okay because that's science. It is indeed science. And so there's still a lot more to go with the, the Higgs boson and all these experiments. One of the interesting things about the way this search works is that, that we don't know exactly what the mass of the Higgs boson is. Mm. And theory suggests it's a certain mass, and there are different theories, different variants on, on the theory, which suggest certain things, certain values for it. And experiments can basically look in these different mass ranges and see if they find the Higgs waiting there for them. And over time, they can search different areas of the different windows of the mass range and start to carve them out and say, no, nope, nothing to find here. So we, um, so we so, know these. So, so we know theory one, two, and three are definitely not right because the Higgs wasn't sitting in that energy range, that weight range. Uh, yeah, range. you can do that. Except most of the theories are a little bit malleable, shall we say, and you can tune some parameters in them to, to ch make the mass change of how you want. But it, let's go back to your burglar story. It's a bit like saying you've maybe discovered there's a burglar in the house. You just don't know which room he's in uh, at the moment. But <laughs> search the different rooms. You can rule them out. And at some point, you're going to find him in a certain place and, and, and then be able to study the burglar. <laughs> however, <you want>. study. <laughs> um, Burglar studying. Excellent. Yeah. So over time, they've been carving out these, these areas of the mass range. So now there's actually only a very small window left where the Higgs could be. Mm. And it's possible that it's not there at all. Some evidence that came out just last week, so early March, 
showed that the evidence for the Higgs boson is a little weaker than they oh, than they thought cool. in December when they they had the previous results. But you know there'll be some fluctuations in in the confidence of finding this particle and, until they get more statistics and get more data together and, and can say something really conclusive. Yeah, what has been exciting is that there's been another experiment at the the Tevatron in the U.S., which uh, has got some data and it shows some evidence that the Higgs could be there at the same place that the Large Hadron Collider, the LHC, in Geneva, Switzerland, found. Okay. So now we've got two experiments which show some kind of evidence for the Higgs particle to exist at this certain place with a certain mass. It really feels like all these experiments are starting to close in on it, and it's just going to take a little bit more time before we know for sure if it's there. So we're checking room for room for this burglar, and we're going to club him with the golf club. That's, what, you know, that's how we're going to study him. And we've pushed Before him, he gets out the window. Before he gets out the window. So we've pushed him into the pantry, basically the small, tiny, tiny room. We think he's in that pantry, but when we, yes. op- but we, have an op- we, when we open the door, it could be that all we'll find is the cereal. Like we won't find a burglar in the pantry at all. That's a couple of rats running around in the cereal or something. That's right. And, and, but the Tevatron, to, to really drag this analogy to its illogical conclusion, yes. the Tevatron is your neighbor who's rung up from next door and gone, hey, the, hey, I once found a burglar in my pantry. And you're like, oh, the pantry's a great place for this burglar. So that's like the, or, or maybe the burglar sees some some strange lights that look like a, a torch being flashed through through your window of a burglar looking around. So they're kind of looking in the same place. Oh. They've just got a different set of evidence I for it being. Oh, there. That, that, I like mm. yours. Yours is much nicer. Okay, that's yeah. good. So they think they've got a burglar too. They're yes. like, we uh, we think he's in the cupboard. We think he's, he's in, in the, the cupboard. We don't think he's in the cupboard. It's this guy's like a quantum burglar. Don't go there. Strange's burglar. <laughs> <laughs> did, did he steal your cat or not? <laughs> 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 The um, Schrodinger's cat burglar. Schrodinger's cat burglar. <laughs> and that, my friends, is the end of a very tortured analogy. <laughs> we'll stop. We'll stop it there. But now you're talking about statistics here. Now this is where the the word sigma gets brought up a lot. A lot of the time, the, especially on the newspapers and, and online, occasionally just they just go, "Oh yes, uh, the Higgs boson has been discovered with a uh, probability of sigma three. And, and that's all well and good. And everyone nods sagely, but then I look very confused. And I kind of go, why don't they just say 60% or he's in the cupboard? Or, you know, it's, it's what's the sigma and what's all that about? Right, so it's a different way of expressing probabilities that are very small or very close to one. A three sigma probability of something means say there's a three sigma signal in these experiments it means there's only about a one in 1000 chance that what you're seeing is some statistical fluctuation there's a 999 in 1000 chance that this is really a higgs particle right okay oh so, i say so it's a by random chance we could be getting a weird signal like a, 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 it could be a hit that's not really a hit it's just a coincidental thing that's happened but, that's right some of these other particles have managed to all be there at the same time and spit out particles when they all decayed that look just like the higgs right but it says there's a little chance okay so they keep saying that with that sigma three but they want to get like to sigma five that's what they keep saying oh once we get to sigma five so all that is is getting is like really making it absolutely certain that that they've got it not absolutely exactly not that oh so right it's not absolutely it's just a different probability and so three sigma so one one sigma is in if you've done any statistics you've heard heard of a standard deviation yes once 
one sigma is one standard deviation. So three sigma is three standard deviations. So we we won't go any deeper into that, I don't think, at the moment. But for people who know some statistics, mm. that's just how the terminology works. So a three sigma result is about one in a thousand chance, something like that. And and if you fi- have a three sigma result, physicists are prepared to say that they found evidence for something. Ah. Uh, but this is particle physicists anyway. <laughs> uh, biologists are happy with a one in 20 chance of it being wrong. So completely different. Well, I must admit, uh, not one in a thousand. I, mean, I must admit, I wouldn't, if I came home and said, oh, I think I saw my father on the street today you know, in the distance, I, I wouldn't say, but, uh, but I, I'm probably less than one in a thousand chance, three sigma. So I'm, I'm not going to declare that was my dad. You'd probably go, no, it was definitely my father. You know, with my, my one in a hundred chance. Biology I, I is right. soft science. It's one step up from homeopathy, isn't it? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Please send all hate mail to dan at smartenoff.org. <laughs> Thank you. No, so, so at least I know, you know how to get the physicists on board. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so three sigma to to a particle physicist is evidence for something, but to really claim a discovery, you need a five sigma signal, which is something like one in seventeen million. <laughs> wow. Okay. So that's pretty statistically likely that all the evidence they've collected is actually pointing to the Higgs boson. That's right. Right. That's right. So what are we at at the moment? So is it 3.5 still? Are you saying it might have dropped back down a bit slightly? I think it might be a little bit lower than that. Oh, okay. Okay. It's not as if they're doing more experiments, is it? All the experiments have been done. They're just trolling through... Trolling? Uh, Yes. Trolling. Trolling, thank you. Trolling through the the endless data. If they were trolling through it, they'd be going through making fun of it. That's right. (laughs) Well, not quite. They've finished collecting data at the Tevatron in the US, so there's no more data to come out there, and the analyses that they've been pulling out in the past few weeks and over the next year will be the, the final word that that experiment has to say. But the LHC continues to run and collect more data, and it will collect massively more data in 2012 than it did in 2011 and 2010 combined. It's it's running at, at a, what's called a higher luminosity, so they're getting more collisions, they're getting more data. Mm. Uh, they're going to be ramping up the energy even higher, which makes it a bit easier to look for the Higgs. So th- there's a lot more data to be collected, but at some point you have to collect the data at, to a certain point and say, okay, we're going to stop collecting now and put that all in one big bucket, and we're going to search that bucket. Right. But so, while you're doing that searching of the bucket, you still collect, you start collecting more data and start cl- filling the next bucket. I see. So then you've got a couple of buckets worth of data to sort through and search for, for what you're looking for. See if you can find that burglar in the bucket. <laughs> the, the, um, I was fascinated when I was reading about the LHC. And you know, if you're ramming two protons together, and let, let's just declare each proton has a massive one, just to just give it a number. And so you ram these things, you get up to the speed of light, or very, very close to the speed of light, and you ram them together. And the daughter particles that come out, the, the things that like, they smash into and all the debris, when you add up all the mass, you might get all these particles that has a mass of, instead of, well, you know, one and one equals two, it may be like masses of three and four, as in the things that come out of it, are, are, there's more mass. And the mass comes from the energy, energy the movement, yeah, the, 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 the velocity of the particles. Of course, that's just the energy. It's that E... Equals MC squared, yes, and with all the other with bits as well. And I, but I, I kind of got it, but I just went, that must be so mind-blowing to look at more mass coming out of a collision than you put into the collision. Well, you know, it's in, in the case of the Higgs boson, it's even more extreme than adding up to three or four. You're colliding two protons together, and the Higgs looks like it has a mass of about 
130 odd protons. <laughs> yeah. That's Jackpot. crazy. So hang on, that's like taking two smart cars, ramming them together, and getting a Mack truck fly out of the collision. Getting an aircraft carrier. They should get some coins. No start throwing coins at each other. All this money's going to start flying no out. No wonder scientists have to have like Sigma 5. Because you went, yeah, we found this. Yeah, we put these two cars together and an aircraft carrier fell out. You'd have to go... Picks or it didn't happen. What, is, what are the chances this, of that? Well, yeah. well, I'll tell you. One in 17 million. <laughs> so it's, it, it, you realise now, of course, how unlikely it is to happen. Therefore, they've really got to prove it. They, they, they've got to go, no, 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 we're not messing around here. There's, look, there's the aircraft carrier flying off into space. We've taken pictures of it. <laughs> yep, that's, that's exactly it. Yep. <laughs> now, now it's so huge. It's you, massive. you were getting cranky before about the, it being called the God particle? Yeah, that's, yeah, well, so, yeah, that does annoy me because, you know, I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not the greatest proponent of God. But uh, why, what's with the God particle name and why does it keep getting used? I mean, what's it about? Okay. Well, I can tell you the, that because um, God is the reason for mass. Right. People don't have mass unless there's God. Oh, you mean you mean religiously? Yeah. On everyone Sundays, attends, that mass. Everyone attends mass, mass because, because of, of God. God. That's that's very good. Hang on, high five you for that one. Thank that's you very a, much. That, that's a gag. That's very nice. Okay, now back to the guy who knows what he's talking about. <laughs> you want to agree with me? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to agree with you. Yay! Sorry. Nah. <laughs> 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 But it seems that the story that goes around, and I, I don't have this officially from the original source, who is Leon Letterman, a Nobel laureate, who was a particle physicist, and he wrote a book that was called The God Particle. And the story goes that his editor wanted to, to call it that. He had referred to the particle as the goddamned particle. <laughs> uh, it was so hard to find. Uh, they done all these experiments, and it just wasn't showing up where they where they wanted it to be. The editor took some uh, poetic license and decided that actually the God particle is a great name for it to to promote a book. Um, so it kind of stuck there. Most physicists are generally pretty unhappy with that name and avoid using it. Good, good, good. That's it. Smart enough to know better. I'm I'm putting a line in the sand from here on in. We're not going to mention the Higgs particle anymore. We're going to call it, call it the goddamn particle. The goddamn particle. There you go. That's, a, that's, that's now smart enough to know better. New line in the sand. The goddamn particle. That's it. We're promoting that as hard as we can. That's awesome. <laughs> so if there is no Higgs boson, is, uh, is there another competing theory? Are, are there some physicists who are like, oh, well, if it's not that, then this? It's, it's the tiny Dan Fulcrum theory. <laughs> <laughs> so yes there are other theories for a start there are a couple of versions of the higgs boson theory that there's the simple one just has one higgs boson that sits there but if you start to play around with things like supersymmetry models then you might have five different higgs bosons and they might all be at, at different energies oh, um so you know we might not be finding them at the moment but you know if there's nothing like the higgs physicists are going to be fairly worried <laughs> um, I think most people are confident that it will show up. But what they're worried about, in fact, their, their biggest fear is they'll find just the Higgs and nothing else. What else do they that, expect to find? Well, the, the problem is that the standard model of particle physics is really great and it predicts the results of all the experiments we've done. But we know it's wrong because we can't <laughs> make it fit together with gravity properly. Oh, okay. um, there are definitely some things missing. We won't say it's wrong, but it's incomplete. There must be something else to it. And if we find the Higgs and just the Higgs, then we're stuck in the same position that the standard model can can pretty much predict everything that's there. Yes. But it doesn't give us any hints as to what comes next. Oh, no, I see. So, so to continue my tortured burglar analogy, we okay. open the cupboard, there's a burglar. He goes, it's a fair cop, Gov, you've got me. And you go, but 
who's the mastermind behind the burglar? He goes, no, I'm not saying nothing. I'm not saying nothing. It was me. I'm the mastermind. Like, no, 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 no. You can't be. There has to be, there has to be a network of burglars. You're like, no, 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 mate. I work by myself. I and, bet it was my mother-in-law. Yeah, but you never know. Yeah. So, so what you're trying to say is unless he's willing to spill the beans, then, then really we're stuffed. We're, we're, we're caught down an alleyway with a burglar. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because the, the indications are that there's a whole world of organized crime out there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, we're just getting a little taste of it and capturing one of the, the suspects, but uh, I see. and the rest. So, so physicists are, are fairly desperate to find things beyond just the Higgs boson. And there are a couple of ways that that could happen. There are a whole bunch of different competing theories, which just get more and more esoteric and convoluted. But that's because theorists haven't been able to do anything except sit and think about interesting, weird ways the universe could work, because mm. they've been waiting for someone to find the Higgs boson. Right. Yes. I heard a wonderful Fine. one recently. It's the theory of gravitational loneliness <laughs> and that all particles that have mass have mass because all particles are fundamentally lonely and Aww. seek out other particles. What, was it make light a sociopath? Yeah. It just doesn't like any other particle. Yeah, that's about right. It's too busy moving quickly. That's, I like, that's very and nice. It, and it makes the Higgs boson a uh, bit of a hussy getting around. Uh, an enabler. A it's an enabler. A pimp. A pimp. Oh, the pimp particle. <laughs> There we go. So we've got the goddamn pimp particle. That's, I love that. Yeah, that's, that's I'm all over that. So we'll, we'll to, we'll, we'll, I, Dan, immediately we're going to become particle physicists and we're going to get discover the pimp particle. Oh, look, I'm just going to go to Wikipedia and vandalize. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that. Very angry people just, just started writing you nasty letters. Well, Mr. David Harris, you've put our mind at ease. Now we sort of understand the Higgs boson, what it is, how it works, and what this damn sigma thing is, and what the goddamn particle might possibly be. So thank you very much. Wait, you, you understood that? Yes, I got I got I, No, but shh, this humor... No, no. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> but thank you very much for joining us at Smart Enough to Know Better. Uh, You're very well. Uh, so if people are looking for you to congratulate you or, or to, to say they've got a burglar in their house, uh, where, should they, where should they find you? The best way is probably just on Twitter. I'm at PhysicsDavid. PhysicsDavid. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Well, thank you, Mr. David Harris. Thank you, guys. Yesterday upon the stair, I saw a Higgs that wasn't there. The LHC works night and day, as Sigma Phi's not far away. Dan Beeston, yes. imagine with your imagination. Okay, I'm imagining. Right. You oh, are. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah, take that off. <laughs> No, no, don't, stop being creepy. What? Now, come back to me and imagine you're a starship captain. Yes. Yeah, you're a starship captain. Yeah, now take that off, baby. <laughs> it's green, it's green. You're a starship captain. Yes. I keep saying you're a starship captain. Now I'm imagining it. How am I getting your fantasies? This is weird. And you've been sent out on some five-year journey to seek out new life and new yep. civilizations, to go where boldly where no one has gone before. Mm, have sex with aliens? If, if you, if, yes, great. If you must. That's what Captain Kirk did all the time. But did he really? We, we say that. But, you know, did he? How many sex, how many sex with aliens did he have? You know what? I, <laughs> I, I, I realized the other day I've only watched two episodes of Star Trek, the original series. Ooh. And the second one was a couple of weeks ago. And he just puts it about. See? Like, it's like, oh. you've got ten minutes, Captain, to get down to the, to the engine room and splice the dilithium crystals in with the cohort armada. <laughs> and, and then suddenly there's this chick. Yes. And she's like, oh, you know, you're so strong and powerful. He's like, yes, I need to rush down to engineering and I'll just 
explain that to you by rubbing up against you and kissing you. You're like, you've got 12 minutes, you idiot! Run! The ship is gigantic! It's the size of two football fields! There's like 20 decks! Alright, that's that's exciting, but we've got slightly off track here. Imagine I'm a starship captain. Thank you. You're a starship captain. You've got your warp drive. That's how you do so it. You can travel super luminal speeds. So yeah. Like, like the Enterprise. Basically, you've got something like the Enterprise. Yeah. And you zoom around with warp drive. And then after your five-year journey is over, yeah. what do you do, Dan? Captain Dan, where do you go after your five-year journey is over? What would you normally do? An alien brothel. After the alien brothel? Right. Move away from the crotch area. I'd return back to Earth. Well, oh... Thanks, Dan. Thanks. You've just killed everyone on Earth. Not, you no. killed us all, Dan. No, it's like, apply the brakes. No, it's too late, Dan. You pull up at, at superluminal speeds, park next to the Earth, and you look down, and the Earth is fried to a crisp. Well done, Dan. Oh. You killed billions of people. You're the, you, you are now officially Captain Dan is officially the universe's biggest monster. There's no one to have sex with anymore. Back to the brothel. When you get back to the brothel, yes, you've destroyed it. No, everywhere you go, you're destroying things. What's wrong with you? I don't know. I, I honestly don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> Please explain. H- have I not disarmed something important? No, no, no. It's the drive itself. It's one of those weird things. Uh, <laughs> this is the talking about warp drives and and how you know this is all very theoretical. We'd like to point out because warp drives don't actually exist at this point. But there have been real uh, scientists, um, Alco Alcabir. There's a gentleman by the name of Alcabir who created the Alcabir Drive, so Miguel Alcabir. But he came up with the idea a couple of years ago about using negative energy. And he put it on his Ford Pinto. <laughs> so Negative energy. So his idea is to put a bubble of negative energy around your ship and you stretch the space-time behind you and you compress space-time in front of you. Therefore, inside your bubble, you're never traveling faster than light, ah. but you're compressing space. So in the end, you can go faster and faster and faster and faster. So mm. you are traveling at super luminal speeds totally theoretical yep. can we ever do it we don't know but people for quite a few years thought oh that seems like an actual real possibility yep. to, to make a negative energy warp drive unfortunately it's now being theorized if you did travel a, a negative energy warp bubble this alcabir drive as you travel through space mm-hmm. the warp bubble would actually pick up particles so uh, as david was talking about before so you pick ah. up the mass particles the gas the hydrogen that you plowed through yep. it wouldn't hit your ship it would all bounce onto the bubble but it wouldn't just deflect away it would just be traveled along with you the moment you got to the end point and you switched off your drive and the bubble stopped all these particles would sh- have your Im- inertia and would shoot forwards at s- massively high speeds but, but but blue shifted out the wahoo there'd be gamma rays so and they'd, high- be, they'd be trying to travel faster than the speed of light? Well, well they couldn't. They couldn't, they, no. they, but they have a massive energy. Remember, yeah. because as they got more energy, the closer you get to the speed of light. There'll be huge energy particles. Imagine all that energy suddenly being blasted through your body. So a proton goes through Earth, and you're talking lots of protons being picked up, yep. and it actually blasts through the planet with massive energies, massive gamma radiation, and, and massively energetic particles. And what they're saying, for some reason, due to a quirk in, in relativity, the faster, the longer you go, the more energy these particles get. The faster you go, the more energy these particles get. And it doesn't seem to be a theoretical limit to the amoot of energy. Uh-oh. So the longer you've been traveling for five years, hooning around, yeah. and then suddenly you turn on Earth, and it's like putting on a massive blowtorch of particles on the planet. So, of course, you get, they're saying you could maybe get round it. That is boldly. <laughs> Like, that is bold. You've been bold. And the, the people are like, well, just don't point your ship at the place yeah. you're going. So maybe you've got to park it off. But they're saying, well, the main beam, the main beam will be out the front and out the back. Yeah. But there will be side 
emanations as well. You can't stop it hitting everywhere. So you'd really have to park a long way away from planet Earth and then just come in at, at, at lower than light speed. But isn't that weird? Isn't that like the, so we have another problem, not just inventing the device in the first place, we then have to stop it killing everybody. Oh, dear. But it's an awesome weapon, isn't it? You know, people worry about sending messages out into space. You know, the whole concept of... Yeah. You, and then maybe an alien civilization will go, wait, there, there are things over there that could take our resources. If, if, we, give, if we give them 10,000 years to spread out across the galaxy, maybe they'll try and hurt us. Yeah. So why don't we just deal with that problem now? Why don't we just send a rock towards them or something like that? Well, this is quite a horrible idea. If this warp drive actually exists, then you could send a superluminal device. Wouldn't it have to be just a vehicle. Yeah. Send it towards the Earth. As long as it's pointed, then make it park... At, at our atmosphere. Why park it? Why not just plow it straight well, in? There's the other one, of course, just, just slam it straight in. But if you just want to destroy it with hard rads and not, like, crush the planet to a million pieces, then... Oh, that'd be like stepping on a Coke can, wouldn't it? Just... Pretty much. an entire ball in space and just turn it into a disc. <laughs> I just... What a wonderful idea. The next time you're watching Star Trek, every time the ship comes out of warp and you get that kind of thing, just, I want you to add in your head the screams of the innocent victims. Because you're talking about... A beam at As the front laser of the ship. cannons explode at both ends. <laughs> oh my god, it's Captain Kirk! Oh my god, it's Captain Kirk! That's what the ladies fuck say anyway, baby. Skywalker 
Just about enough of your racism. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. Every single podcast. It's like you're having a go at the Canadians. And you. You also have a go at Canadians. Oh, I've never said anything <laughs> detrimental to the Canadians. Really? No. Really? Never. I see. Well, it's just me, is it? Yeah. You, I, is this, is this, is this, what we get nominated and now you're hanging me out to dry. Hey, you hung yourself out to dry when you took that emboldened and wonderful nation, and decided to grind it under your heel of sarcasm and p- pettiness and nastiness. Look, look, I'd worry, but they're Canadians. They're not like real people. Oh, damn it. Oh, oh they're real people, oh. and they have things to share with us. And so I went and I looked up all of the inventions that Canadians have created. That'd be a short list. It's a huge list. <laughs> Maple syrup? And Pancakes. I, oh, 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 aren't we clever? You know, maple syrup <laughs> is delicious. Have you eaten pancakes with maple syrup? Absolutely wonderful. They put so bacon on things. I thought that I would share some of the inventions that Canadians oh, have well, got. If you must. Yeah. I, I always like the name for it. Um, Canada is America's hat. <laughs> would, that, would that make uh, America Canada's ass or Canada's pants? <laughs> And Mexico's Mexico's Wait, what waistcoat. That, what would that <laughs> make? Florida. Like don't, don't mention it. Don't mention okay. it. Any, okay. Enlighten me about your friends, the Canadians. Yeah. Well, they invented five-pin bowling. <laughs> no, it, that's a, that's a, <laughs> like you got ten-pin bowling. I stand corrected. But, now, but but they invented a, a sport called five-pin bowling, and. It, and apparently it's very popular. Is there. that because they're only half as good? They couldn't. They, they could never get a strike. They're like pins, eh? We'll just, <laughs> we'll just make half them out, eh? I, I, I think it's just a, a brilliant idea. It's a brilliant invention. They invented the. <laughs> You're right. I'm okay. They invented the abdominizer. <laughs> <laughs> it's the plastic scoop that helps you do sit-ups. Oh wow! Have you not seen that advertised in the '80s on late night TV? I, so I, I, I don't. I now sleep more. Mm. That's a total lie. I don't sleep more, but yes. Mm. Uh, the electric car heater. What? Hang on. You mean literally the, the, the... the... car heater in a car. Oh, okay. I thought it maybe said, oh, okay, fair enough. Oh. They invented that. Yeah. A Canadian invented that. Well, well they, they wouldn't be able to drive otherwise. <laughs> it's bloody cold. Yeah. That's to death. true. Yes. The egg carton. A Canadian invented the egg carton. What did they use before? Uh, probably the soundproofing their garage to do, uh, <laughs> to do their, uh, 
They're, they're grunge rocking. <laughs> that was Seattle. That's not Canada. Oh, it's close. Same. Vancouver. Seattle's on don't, the edge. Don't ever say Seattle and Vancouver are the same place. They get both get really upset by that. Mm, you gotta look, and out. One of look those, out for the people from Seattle. And then. one of those nations has nuclear weapons. So let's just All be... Right. Oh, Physics David lives there. Don't pick on Physics David. He doesn't mean to. They invented the goalie mask. Of course they did, with their terrible hockey with violence. They invented instant mashed potatoes. <laughs> you don't have to mash potatoes anymore. You could just get the powder and turn it into mashed potatoes. Well, how many spacemen drink, eat instant mashed potatoes? They invented the lawn sprinkler. The lawn sprinkler? Yeah. So no one thought of maybe before Canadians. No, they're just hosing. There's hosing things. Or they paid someone like, to just, hose. I'll just leave it out there. Okay, well, fair enough. Stick some holes in a thing. <laughs> lacrosse. They invented lacrosse. What, what's lacrosse? Well, it's right up there with five-pin bowling. Is, is lacrosse the game like hockey, but you have like a net yeah, on a you, stick? It's, it's, like, it's, uh, it's like battle butterfly catching. <laughs> but lacrosse is actually quite big in, in American schools now, actually. That's yeah. one of those things. That it's one of have the, you been watching Teen Wolf? No. Oh, in no. Teen Wolf, they have big. That's the school sport is lacrosse. Right. Okay. No. No. I think that's because that's. I think. I think you kind of jump to the reason why I know that lacrosse is bigger because things like Teen Wolf are now using it. But I, yeah, as in it's because it's big. It's, 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 okay. it's bigger. The potato digger. The potato digger. Yeah. No one could dig potatoes. I'm sure there's lots of Irish people who are now going. No, no, we were digging potatoes way before well, the, the Canadians. Maybe not. But not. A, hang on. Is a potato digger a specific device for digging potatoes, or is it a oh, shovel? I, I hope so. Otherwise, it's just. I hope. I, well, no. As long as it digs potatoes. <laughs> right. Honestly, you've got such a bad attitude. I I'm just. That's, I'm trying to. Uh, poutine. What? Poutine. What's poutine? Oh, you've never. Poutine is wonderful. What is that do... what, hang on, is that what Russian presidents used to, to get up into power in the morning? That's, no, that's topical. No. See, poutine. No, See, no. people who know the hit. Poutine. Come on, poutine. Come on. Oh, dear me. Uh, poutine is hot chips mm-hmm. covered in gravy and cheese. It's a meal. Yeah. It's a heart attack waiting to happen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, I had I'll... one once. It was wonderful. I had one. You can only have one, but you're only allowed to have one ever, I assume. That's yeah, it. I assume so. And then you have to write a will. Uh, rubber shoe heels. Rubber shoe heels. Yeah, so your shoes have rubber heels. Due to Canadians. Yeah. They're the ones who vulcanized yeah. my shoes. Okay. The tuck-away handle in the beer carton. What? Yeah, you know how you cut a little thing in the side of the beer carton and you can pick it up. Oh, yes. This is a handhold because it curls around on itself and it. Oh, and yes. you don't cut yourself with cardboard. Canadians created that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and the Rotary Railroad snowplow. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. They have a lot of snow. Yeah. Well, there you go. That's pretty good, isn't it? I stand corrected. Yeah, yeah. Canadians, I doff my cap to you. Mm. Uh, also, the electric light bulb, the electron microscope, the telephone, the wireless radio, the walkie-talkie, the 56K modem, the pager, sonar, and radio telephony. In fact, in a landscape where it literally hurts to go outside for three months of the year, mm-hmm. they seem to have excelled on communication devices. <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, Australia invented Wi-Fi and the Hills Hoist. Oh, that Hills Hoist. And, 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 and that's about all I can remember at this moment. All right. So, Canada, I would like to give you the best grade on the test, eh? Oh, that's very good. Uh, it's all building to that. Yeah, that's also one gag. No. We record in suits and we travel by blimp. We exude culture. We sure do. I've decided to up our game. Hmm. Let me present to you the smart enough to know better menagerie. Oh, oh, wow! That is a beautiful model. So walk me through it. Well, here is the reception. Mm-hmm. Then the Avery is here. Then the apes. The apes? Yeah, they're great apes. 
they're great apes. They're f***ing awesome. No, 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 wait. Are, are they apes that are great, or are they great apes? They're great. No, no, wait. No, listen. They're awesome. Are they awesome apes, or are they awesome great apes? They're awesome great. Okay, okay. Let's try this a different way. They're gorillas. They're awesome gorillas. Yes, good. And chimp? Awesome chimps. So they're all great apes. They're all great. <sighs> okay, uh, let's move on. What's this pool for? That's where we keep the white sharks. Are they great white sharks? Mm, they're okay. Dan, I know you've been really worried about this, and I think it's time now maybe we should work through it. You have a lot of guilt, and I understand that. What? 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 No, no, come on. No, it's all right. I thought I hit my... No, no. Wait, what? <laughs> don't, don't incriminate yourself on a podcast at this point. Just, but, but you know what I'm talking about here. We talk about this a lot in the podcast together. We, we, we bring it up over and over again. Like, I seem to pick on Canadians. Dan, I know you're very, very guilty mm. about what human beings, Homo sapiens sapiens, did to Homo sapiens Neanderthalus. Okay. What did they do? Well, we talked about how we've... Oh, they rogered them out of existence. We the... rogered them out of yeah, existence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm I, know, I know you've been crying yourself to sleep about this. And also, maybe we, the, the original theory is we wiped them out. Maybe we gave them diseases. Now the original one is we probably had sex with them and they just couldn't compete with our sexiness. So that's not actually how it happened at all. But that's the story I'm going to keep promoting. All right. But it's okay, Dan. Okay. It seems okay. we had nothing to do or very little to do with the destruction of the Homo sapien Neanderthalus. Oh, I, I, know, I know. So all that oh, Homo sapien... So they're sapien, okay. They, uh, no, they're still wiped out. They don't exist. Oh, God. <laughs> no. Neander, Homo Neanderthalus. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You, that's okay. We should have stopped that. <laughs> it, it, we, had, we could have done nothing. That's what they're saying. So they wiped out about between 30 and 40,000 years ago. Yeah. So that was, they seemed to all die out. But it seems to me, it seems to me, it seems not to me, it seems to people who know what they're talking about, <laughs> that 50,000 years ago, so way before we met these guys, their crop population absolutely crashed due to the genetics. So checking the genetics, the like bottlenecks, basically. They had some sort of... Inbreeding? Uh, no, no. Inbreeding? An environmental catastrophe, they think, where they just couldn't, their breeding pairs were dropped down to basically nothing. Even though they had the gene for language and they had culture of some sort, they went from a large population in, in what we now call Europe to a very, very small population. Now, it built up again over time, mm -hmm. but never to that levels again. And then when humans came along, so about 20,000 years after that big crash, then they fully died off. So the theory now at the uh, Swedish Museum of Natural History feels that they've actually died out over a long period of time. So when, when humans turned up, we probably didn't help them along, but it seems like we didn't do it. Like, they were already on the way out when, okay. when we turned up. That's the theory at the moment. Are you okay with that? It's, that sounds like the, the case of the prosecutor. <laughs> and I want you to understand, Your Honour, that human beings were not there at the time. <laughs> And we probably didn't do it. <laughs> We're not terribly sure. But no, it looks like they, they were, weren't doing very well. But this make, gives me an interesting thought. Okay, fine. So maybe we didn't help them along. Maybe we were interbreeding. Maybe they, they did die out. In the end, we took over niches that they were in and all the rest. But think about the implications of this. We never met them, as in Homo sapiens sapiens, never met Homo sapiens neanderthalus at their full strength. Because 20,000 years before we met oh. them, they, they, they had a massive die-off. What would have happened if humans had come north? Well, they were humans as well. I keep my Homo, Homo sapiens Neanderthalus were humans. They were just a 
different like, cousin humans. What yeah. happens when our version of humans had gone north and met a well-stocked and provisioned tribe of Homo sapiens Neanderthalus? They'd be able to pick us up and throw us. That's right. I'll make passionate love to us and we couldn't say no. No, that's, that's, a, bit, that's a bit awful. It's a bit starship <laughs> captaining. <laughs> makes, it makes you think, doesn't it? It really, like, once again, the fact that we are here in the 21st century is a total fluke. Total fluke. Right back from the start of the universe, all the laws and all the rest, it, it, it is coincidental. Something mm. would have been here at some point. Oh, yeah. But, well, That's but, the thing. It's a fluke that we got to this point, mm. but this point isn't the fluke. This, yes. This hole in the evolutionary landscape was always going to be here. Of some sort. Of some I sort. just like the idea that in some other multi-universe, like a multiverse thing, there are two more robust versions of us right now going, 50,000 years ago, Homo sapiens sapiens died out with their tiny skulls and their weak bones. Now we're here on a podcast talking like this. <laughs> they had a much better gene for language, but it didn't stop the rhinoceros killing them. <laughs> Strong enough to know better, we'll be back after these messages. Walk of shame. Nice. Discreet. I like it. I always bellow it, so now I'm like, yeah, yeah, we shouldn't be we shouldn't be yelling out hey. from the windows. Hey, dude, dude, shh. Hey, hey, you want to hear about our mistakes? You, you want you, you want to see my shame? <laughs> oh, God. oh wait, hang on. Ah <laughs> oh, dear. Now, Dan. Yes, you've made an error. Oh, and you know how much I love rubbing your face in errors. It's the only way I'll learn. <laughs> Smacking you the newspaper and rub my face in the error. And when this error was sent to me from a listener, I was like, first of all, I was like, yes, stick it to Dan. It's going to be awesome. And then I realized what the error was. Yes. And it made me sad. Oh. It's made me sad, Dan. I don't even want to mention it, but we have to because that's how we learn. That's how science works. You can't overlook <sighs> the stuff. You can't that... cherry pick what you want to see. I know. So Steve Nerlick, who was on the program a few podcasts yes. ago. So a clever man. Very, very clever Cheapastro.com. He has his own podcast. You should all listen to it. Learn a lot more than this ridiculous thing. <laughs> uh, Steve Nerlick pointed out that our excitement about calling the Earth Chad 3. Yes. It's wrong. No. I know, I know. I sobbed for hours. I told him, you better be right, Nerlick. And he went, stop hanging out in my bedroom how'd you get to Canberra anyway and I was like no it's only a scientific thing you know soul one soul two soul three it doesn't go A it, it, no one does that really only in science fiction do they number things like no. someone mainly and, and, we, and we know that we can't use science fiction as a guide because then we'd have to call the sun soul yes and that would we can't call it Chad so we yeah. can't do that and also it's not based on the closeness it's, it's when they're discovered so normally the bigger ones so you look out to a, new, a star and you start finding planets the first one you can discover is normally the biggest one so you call yes. that one that might be Kepler 22b and it, oh, no, right yeah, Kepler 22a I'm confused because 22b was a star I'm getting confused anyway A's and B's are stars yes it's A's and, well, A's. so Roman numerals is planets so, in sci-fi yeah but, but the A well you know you have a number let's say you have a name you've called it something Kepler number 22 okay and then you have A and that could be the biggest planet, and then B, and then C, and then D. And it all depends where um, it runs around, and it's in no order. So you can be, when you get there, you could go, the second planet in, that's F, because it was the one that was found in that order. And you go, damn it. And so we uh, can't, we're not, we're not Chad 3. Damn it. Not, no. So what was the first planet we discovered in our solar system? Uh, oh, it was Earth. It was. So that would make us Chad, Chad 1. Chad 1 or Chad A? I'm confused. Chad A would be... Chad's first would be the star, star itself. So we're Chad B. No, wait. No, that would be its binary sibling. No, no, no. What, no, what are you talking about? You're, you're making things up and you're walk of shaming the walk of shame. Damn it. I hate <laughs> it when that happens. Let's just say we're wrong and move on. I hate it when I walk of shame the walk of shame. It's like a snake eating its own legs. Uh, so Alan Kirk Kirkin? 
He's my nemesis. Yeah. Oh, damn you, Alan. Now, we were talking about <laughs> the weight of the Earth. Yes. And he, and he quite rightly pointed out that yes. it hangs in space. It has, has mass. It does have mass. It's not weight, I, but... I'm, I'm pretty certain I did mention that, but uh, maybe but, I didn't. Well, maybe yeah, you edited me out. Yeah, probably. Dan. I always like to make you look bad. <laughs> but, I mean, it has weight because it's falling into the sun at the same time as it's moving away from the surface of the sun at the same speed, well, and that's what makes it an orbit. Yes, yes. So, you can so it a... would have weight. If you stopped, If you stopped the Earth, it would fall into the sun because of the weight. No, no, no. No, that's not technically true. Aww. No, no. Thank you. Thank you. Bless your heart for uh, trying to make me look better. But no, okay. it, weight is a gravitational field. So if, if it fell, if it fell into the sun, it would be free falling into the sun. Mm-hmm. It would technically wouldn't have any weight. You, oh. you wouldn't say that someone, oh, yeah, someone right. in the, you know, the comet, the, the, but, but, the vomit comets, the planes that go up yep. and down, you, when you get up and you start floating, your, 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 your weight is negated. But your, yeah. You have mass still. You have, mass is the amount of stuff you are. So if you put a Dyson sphere around the sun yes you and you put the earth on it then mm. it would have weight yes it would yes yeah, yeah that's right it would be seen okay. that's right but uh, but maybe we weren't talking about the actual weight <laughs> of the earth as it flies through the universe mm, mm. maybe we were just discussing <laughs> the weight of planet earth at sea level on planet earth that's technically when you yeah when you, well, that's that's what you would be measuring yeah. yes if you could take the earth and place it at yeah. sea level on the earth that would be what you would be weighing yeah but its weight is not its it's just equivalent to its mass. We should talk maths. We, sh- no. we should call it maths. It is, he is right. He is mm. technically correct. The best form of correct. Ah, oh, fair enough. <laughs> but damn you, Alan. Damn you. Now, this is a dumb one. But, uh, yeah. but uh, at, in the podcast, we were discussing when uh, children leave the, the age of innocence. Yes. Oh, hang on. That's my phone. That, that ring. Landline. Yeah. How very qu- quaint. Don't you have a don't you have a landline? No, God no. How do you get the internet then? A naked DSL. What does that mean? Uh, it connects to the phone network, but it, it's not through a phone carrier. Oh, okay, that's neat. Yeah, it's very cool. It's like ten bucks cheaper or something. Oh, really? Something like that. So I always thought I had to get a phone line to get internet to the house. It's, yeah, it's called naked DSL. So mm. I'll sort that out. I'll have to look into it. No. I, don't, I don't want a phone. I have no yeah. interest in it. iNet have some really good deals on naked DSL. They <laughs> specialise. They don't pay us any money. We don't support them. Well, maybe they should contact me. Uh-huh. Offer some free internet to us. Maybe then they get mentioned in the podcast more than they already do. Which is quite often, yes. Yeah, no, they realise that they're on the a thing free is, that's meal. What you don't... We've got to stop yeah, talking stop. about them. You don't... Or just start bagging them out. You're not going to get the... You're not going to buy the cow if you get the milk for free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So stop it. I just start bagging them out, oh, and then, okay. they, then they'll pay us to stop. Or they'll sue us. Yeah, no, I understand that iNet, all the cabling's done with uh, 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 stones. I've heard it's together. naked. They have naked DSL. It's filthy. Not, not Think as... about the children. I know, you can't have naked DSL in my house. can't have 20 inches of cabling in my... Uh, what? Yeah. You can see their packets. I, oh, my God. What are we talking about? Oh, yes. We were talking about the age of innocence mm. and how after seven years, yes. then a child's out. And I said, after seven years, oh, that, and you went, when they're seven, I went, no, when they're eight. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's not maths. No, zero, zero to one. Yeah, because yes. human beings start at zero. <laughs> yes, we don't just appear at one. No. Mm. So mm. after seven years, that's when you are seven. Yes. And then you're seven in one day, mm. and seven and You're turning eight. 158 <laughs> or something. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's good. That's, well, well done for pointing out. So zero, human beings can be zero. 
That's like that terrible thing where at what mo- at what moment do you start saying like, people go, oh, he's 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 nine months, he's ten months, but even then higher that they go, he's fifteen months. You know, start going, whoa, when does that stop? Normally, it's about two years of age, isn't it? That's normally the yeah. Yeah, okay. Interesting. I talked to my mum once. We were talking about you know how much she loved me. And she pointed out that she wished she could get, at the time, she said she wished she could get a 90-trimester abortion. That was harsh. And I just turned 30. And it took me a while to work that one out. And I went, walked, I, I went, oh, that's nice. And I walked away and went, wait a minute. <laughs> harsh, harsh, lady, harsh. But I was being a bit of a bastard, so that's fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> and one last walk of shame. Apparently, the Triceratops and the Taurosaurus are actually two different species of dinosaur again. Has it been proven? Well, a... Or theorised? Some research came out of Yale University. Excellent. I uh, trust Yale. Where they (laughs) measured up all the skulls of Taurosauruses Mm -hmm. and Triceratops. They think, Mm -hmm. having looked at all this research, that it's much more probable that they're two distinct species that lived in the same area. Excellent. For those who don't know, there was a theory for a couple of years we've been promoting that the... Taurosaurus and the Triceratops. One was just the juvenile yes, version. Yes, the of Triceratops the other. was a baby Taurosaurus, Aha. and that their crest would change so dramatically as they be- entered adulthood. Ah. So but there you go. Not oh, true. Yay. Two different ones. Triceratopses still exist. Taurosauruses still exist. But walking with dinosaurs, people don't have to remodel the entire thing. <laughs> All righty. Mystery piece of paper. Yes, we, we, we're so busy ca- keeping up with all the cutting-edge bits of science. Mm. Sometimes we forget about the, the shoulders of the giants that we stand on. That's right. And so I thought that I would create a recreation of some pertinent scientific moments. <laughs> so, Is this going to be me reading ridiculous things again? No. Oh, no, okay. no, I, I, I wrote all this out, uh-huh. and we'll, we'll be playing out... Mm-hmm. We will be playing out the uh, the invention of the Copenhagen interpretation of quantum mechanics, <laughs> a reconstruction of oh events. Oh my gosh! Really? Yeah. Okay. Of how they got there. I've never seen this. This is going to be yeah. exciting. What? All right. I'll be Newton. You be Schrodinger. Okay. Right. Do you want, do you want an accent? No, I do accents. Let's Ah, Newton. Just the man I want what? to see. Wait. What do you mean no accent? What do you want? Schrodinger is Austrian. Oh God. That does. Ah, Newton. Just the man that's, I want to see. That's better. Are you all right? <laughs> Are you all right, old chap? You look positively worn out. I was outside moving heavier and heavier objects using longer and longer levers. And then during my breaks, I dropped some stuff on the ground, just to prove a point. Well, consider it proven, my brilliant friend. Very kind of you. Now, you wanted to talk to me about something. Yes, my good fellow. I've discovered something quite astonishing. I'm not sure that you... (laughs) I'm not sure that you'll like it. Well, I'm sure it will be okay... Everything in the natural world revolves around the basic principles of logic and order. Of course, the first problem is that we didn't live even close to each other. That you know, there were hundreds of years. Don't. Okay. Just follow the, the script. script. Sorry. Okay. Uh, mm, only I spent last night putting various cats in boxes and gassing them to death. You monster! It was for science. I apologize for my outburst. Please do carry on. I had created a trigger that involved a 50-50 state of activating. So half the cats would die and the other half would live. That makes sense. But what I noticed was that each time before I looked in the box, the cat existed in a state of being both dead and alive at the same time. Astounding. This flies in the face of every discovery I've ever made. Even the cat flap. How did you regard the cat's uncertain quantum state without looking in the box? An excellent question. Well, I must say, I'm floored by this incredible information. Shall we share a tub? 
<laughs> no, there's nothing on the other side. Shall we share a tub of Copenhagen ice cream in celebration? But it is... <laughs> But is the ice cream in the box alive or dead? <laughs> I've missed something, obviously. Well, I've missed many things, but where's the excellent information that explains it all? That was it. An excellent question. Oh, look, I don't want to. I don't want to bog people down in in all the, the details. What is going on? I don't even understand this. We are getting to the end of the podcast, Aww. listener. Aww. But we've got still got a little bit of fun stuff ahead, oh. including a song. This time, I've tracked down one. Ooh. Now, you were saying in something that may or may not have got, gotten cut out, the major <laughs> podcast, and be put into the second, <laughs> into the point five, that's mm. in two weeks, that you have a new telescope. I do! And you're looking at stuff in the sky. Yeah, I am! Which is very exciting. It's very exciting. Oh, things you can see. I discovered Galileo's moons. Mainly Galileo got there first, but I saw them with my own two eyes and, and I almost wet my pants in joy. Yeah. But it was that what made me excited about it was I, I wasn't thinking about it. I just pointed at Jupiter and I was going, oh, Jupiter looks really lovely. And I could, I could see the bands, equatorial bands, and really, really clear. And then my brain went, what the heck are those four stars near it? In it kind of like a, like a line. And I, and I really, and I just didn't think about it. And I took my eye away from the telescope and looked up and I couldn't see it in the sky. And I went back into the telescope and I looked yeah. and I went, oh, there they are again. That's, they're not running around. They're just these dots. I looked back up again and went, they're not stars. And then suddenly all this theoretical knowledge hit me in the head. <laughs> my brain went, they're the Galilean moons, you idiot. You can see all four of them quite clearly. So Io, <laughs> Ganymede, Europa, and Callisto, all very, very clearly. I can't say which one is which from just looking at them. But I was really excited. I was, I was like ringing people up at 11 o'clock at night going, oh, my God, I can see <laughs> Galileo's moons. And it's like, we're trying to sleep. So, yes, I'm very excited. But, yes. You must have pointed it at buildings or something, though. Like seeing whether you can see across town. It's too powerful. It's it's too. Yes, I did. I was uh, lining up the finder scope with the main scope. Yeah. You've to have a distant object which is considered an infinite. So I was looking for a street light, or way, way, way away. And I accidentally was looking through the window of a hospital. <laughs> that, that's a really long way away. And it took me a while to work. Cause I was looking at what the heck am I looking at? Because it's a long way away. Mm -hmm. And and I worked out I was looking at a man asleep in a bed. Wow. But he was on the ceiling. But he wasn't on the ceiling because it's an inverted image. Oh right. So, so the telescope has an inverted image. So it doesn't because less you want yeah. Less yeah, you course. want less glass between you and the universe, mm. so you don't bother changing. It doesn't matter if it's upside down because it's all circles anyway. Yeah, right. But I was sitting there going, what am I looking at? And I looked at it, it was, it was like a guy in a bed. And that sounds very voyeuristic. I didn't look, I went, Bleh! and it like moved away. But you could see it plain as day. Like it was, yeah. I moved it over to the 18-year-old uh, orphanage. <laughs> oh. All right, well, there's one thing that you can see with telescopes. It would be mm. stuff that orbits the Earth. Satellites.
wasn't it? Lovely song. The film could really cool too. Like yeah. stop your animation and it's spinning and it's a satellite. It's going round and round. Mm. But will the young couple in the film clip ever meet? Or will she be the first star he spies but Aww. always be a little out of reach? Oh, it's lovely. Check out the film clip because it is wonderful, absolutely wonderful. I'm a really big fan of Gusta. That's what it is. Okay. Oh, they're okay. Gusta. They're a, they're a Canadian band. Oh, they even create good music too. I'm in love with Canadians now. I have been brought around to your way of thinking. <laughs> <laughs> now, we're also, we have something else to say as we sort of barrel up to the end of the podcast. We're on ABC Radio now. Yeah. We have a regular radio gig, and it's the smart enough to know better boys or men or gentlemen or whatever fellows we've been called. Yeah. But we're called into the ABC studios here in sunny Brisbane every Wednesday at 3.45 to talk science with Tim Cox on the Drive program. And we just crap on about science. It's like this, but in bite-sized chunks. Yeah, which is the best sort of chunks. So listen in the radio if you can. It's 612 on the AM band if you're around Brisbane. Or if you're not and you want to listen to us anyway, you can go to... 612live.com and you can find the Drive program mm. and you can actually find our segments already hidden away for you. We also tweet them. Check on at SE2KB on Twitter and you'll see in our back tweets that we've actually retweeted each one of them as well. And I think in our show notes there is a link to an RSS feed of those articles. Oh yes, from one of our one of our listeners, Mr. Chris Anderson, also a Canadian. No, oh, yeah, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. I have to be really nice, otherwise they get all booty and, and say nice things about me. You have been listening to Dan at smartenough.org and Greg at smartenough.org. If you would like to talk to us, send us emails to our email addresses using your electronic mail program. <laughs> or tweet us at, at SE2KB. Do you say at twice? At at, at sign. At well, you, 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 yeah. but that's you sending it at two, and it's at SE. But anyway, SE2KB. Tweet, tweet us two at two SE2. No, wait. Anyway. Or, or get into our forums. Yay! They're, they're linked to from the website, and you can get in there and have a big old chat, maybe an argument that's with some lo- fellow interested science people. We love arguments. And if you've reached us from the UK Skeptics Magazine Awards... Hello! Welcome! Welcome to the fun! Hello, welcome! On the website, there's a great big orange button that will make sure that you never miss an episode of Smart Enough No Better ever again. And if you have been listening to it for a while, or you just listened to the first time and go, they're great, please jump into iTunes and give us a review. At least click how much you like us. A five would be nice, but... Give us a little review. We don't want to lead you. No, no, no. Um, uh, know, there are lots of great numbers. That's Five right. is just kind of it's a friendlier. It's, yeah, it's, it's got a little belly. It's kind of a bit, it's a little fat around the middle, yeah. but it's got a, ha- a little hat. hat. Yeah, it's lovely. So maybe five. Um, or give us a little review, just a two two sentence review. It always helps us to move us further into iTunes. Other people can see us and join in the fun and the madness. And I hate Canadians. Oh, So today we're just going to sort of chat about uh, the Higgs boson and yes. uh, and what the heck it, that actually means because uh, everyone sort of kno- everyone knows the words. Well, there's a lot of people who, who listen to the podcast and go, "I know what the Higgs boson means," but when Dan yeah, and I, realized, I don't. Well, that's right. Dan and I both kind of went, oh, "We kind of don't know." So I don't even know how to spell it. I thought it was boson, like on a boat. Uh, let's just say it's something like that. <laughs> thanks, thanks, David. You, you don't have to hear me. It's all and right. move on to something correct. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so. <laughs> I'm S. Yes. Are you? you, 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 you actually, he's actually written "I'll be Newton, you be Schrodinger." It's a good gag. I thought you'd like that one. <laughs> so, 
Damn it. So, 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 so,